0: What a joy that we get to open up His Word, which is living and active, which is able to pierce every one of our hearts, and we will do so this morning. Uh, Church family, it is that time of year, and it's that time of year when every politician of every party is out there telling you why they have the special knowledge and the special insight and the expertise to solve all of society's woes. It's that time of year when every sports writer and radio broadcaster and sports commentator on Monday morning tells you how they, with no athletic knowledge or expertise, can solve all of the problems for the Longhorns, Aggies, Cowboys, and on down the line. It's that time of… that time of year seems to always be that time of year when you can pop on social media and there are influencers of every kind who are telling you uh, why they know exactly how to fix the problems in your life, whether that be the problems of your baby not sleeping or with some kind of fitness goal or some kind of business goal or how to own 27 Airbnb properties and make a million dollars a month. And inevitably it's always that time if you've ever served or volunteered in a ministry, there's always one person somewhere along the line who has never darkened the doors of your ministry or your grow group or anything, but who when they see you can tell you with expert knowledge and wisdom everything you're doing wrong and how to fix it. And it leads us to this question, church family, who, who among us is wise? Who among us is wise and, and how do we know if a person is wise? What is the criteria in which we we look at a person? We hear what they say, we see what way they do, and we evaluate and go that person is wise. And in that criteria, how do we decide whom whom uh, whose counsel we will receive and model and pattern ourself? after. We already know from the book of James' church family, back in chapter 1, he, he throws out the, the, uh, the conditional clause that, that assumes it's true, which is this, who among you needs wisdom? Who, who among you lacks wisdom? Well, we all lack wisdom. We have a desperate need for wisdom. We have a desperate, desperate need for wisdom if we are going to live and move and breathe as the people of God in the midst of a world that is set opposed to our King, opposed to our God. And this has been at the heart as we've walked through James. James is deeply concerned that the people of God live out their faith rightly, that there is a genuine faith, a real faith that as they face hardships, trials, temptation and suffering, which they are facing. And as the circumstances are ripe for them to fall short of faithfulness, he is concerned that they walk rightly. And so he unpacks and centers in three themes. We've seen uh, several weeks past. We've seen the aspects of prosperity and poverty and, and partiality. We've, we, we came into the second of the three themes this week's, last week, speech and wisdom. Last week he focuses hard on speech, on the power of the tongue, on the, on the fury and the danger of the uncontrolled tongue, and almost abruptly he then turns, turns his focus to wisdom. So I invite you, church family, if you've got your Bible, to open with me to the book of James. If you don't have a Bible, or uh, you, you can take the pew Bible in the back of this, the pew in front of you, and the, the page numbers on the screen. But turn with me, church family, James chapter three, verse thirteen. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show his by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Here's what he says. He says, church family, who among you thinks you're actually smarter than a fifth grader? He says, who thinks you're wise? Who thinks that you possess the the, the, knowledge, the knowledge of truth, the knowledge of God applied rightly into everyday practical living. Who among you thinks that you have understanding, which is, which is a word we translate understanding, but that Greek word's only used there in the New Testament. And it's the idea of someone who is an expert in their craft, an expert in their field of study. So he says, who among you thinks that you have high, lofty, wise knowledge and are an expert in applying it? Who among you thinks you're that person? And he lays down the challenge. Whoever among you thinks you're that person, look what he says, let him show. Or or maybe translated a different way, that person must show, prove it. So you think you're smarter than a fifth grader? Prove it. So you think you're wise and understanding? Prove it. It's a a verb. It's a verb in in, in, in the aorist imperative, which is the strongest, most urgent way to give a command in the Greek language. It's not just a suggestion. Hey, you think you're wise? Well, maybe you should show it. No, you think you're wise? Prove it now. Show it. Demonstrate it. Carry it out. And look how he says, prove it. Let that person prove it by their good behave by 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 his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom so he says by his good behavior it's two terms good describing something which is attractive which is beautiful not attractive in the sense of you're trying to do something to just be a people pleaser but something that 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 is you're drawn to, something that is winsome, good, something that actually lives up to the high level it's called to, behavior. Behavior is how you act and control yourself in line with the principles you express. It's made, put this way, it's a way of life, a pattern of life. He says, who among you is wise by their good, by their winsome, by their beautiful? by their morally upright pattern, way of life, way of living, by this measure of character that defines you by that, act in your deeds. Remember church family, spiritual warfare, the demons live in the microphones. (laughs) You're going to laugh, but in a second he says a certain kind of wisdom is demonic, so I'm just saying says, let him show his good behavior by his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Here's what he says, you wanna say that you're wise, I want you to prove it. I don't want you to prove it by how much theology you can rattle off. I don't want you to prove it by how many Greek verbs you can parse. I don't want you to prove it in terms of how much knowledge you have stuffed up into your head. If you think you're wise, I want you to prove it by what you do. And what you do, if you're wise, if you're really wise, what you do should flow out of this beautiful manner of life and what you do should be done. And it says this phrase, in the gentleness of wisdom, meaning the gentleness which wisdom produces. Which says, if you're wise, it should carry over into a way of living where the way that you act is defined by a gentleness, a meekness, that wisdom produces. A gentleness, a weakness, it quite literally is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of your own importance. It is the opposite of arrogance. It leads one to be submissive to offense and is free from malice and desire for revenge. We translate it gentleness, we translate it meekness. Theologians have said it's yielding of oneself and ready teachability and responsiveness to God's Word. It's not weakness but power under control. The meek person does not feel a need to contend for recognition of his rights or acceptance of his views. His life will be characterized by a modesty and unobtrusiveness. It is a term that sometimes you might see translated gentleness, meekness, or humility. It it speaks to this idea of a person who rightly understands who they are before God. They understand that God is God, and they're not. They understand that but for God's mercy and grace, they would be in a horrible situation. But But because of what God has done in Christ, and they have come to faith in Christ, they have been reconciled to God, and They are of supreme value to God, but they also understand that being of supreme value to God, they're not what the universe revolves around. And so when others come against them, rather than going eye for eye, they turn the other cheek. When someone says, give me your coat, they give them two. When someone says, walk a mile, they go two. It speaks to this pattern of life. It is a term that was despised in the first century. It was viewed by the Romans as as something of weakness, but it is commanded all throughout scripture of the believer. In 2 Corinthians, when Paul is experiencing the church in Corinth, they are taking pot shots at his character, at his calling. They are attacking him and when he begins his defense, he says, let me respond to you in meekness. It's a fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. It's what those chosen of God believers must clothe themselves. Colossians 3, Ephesians 4 says as we diligently seek to preserve the unity of the spirit, it's how we are to treat one another. Galatians 6 tells us when a a brother or sister falls into sin and there is repentance, it is in gentleness and meekness that we are to restore them to fellowship in the body. It's demanded of us, it is the product of wisdom. A church family, don't miss what is being said here. If you want to go, Pastor, what's the point of the whole sermon? Well, James, James makes it really easy because verse 13 is the point of the whole sermon. The point of the sermon is this. If, if you say you have wisdom, if you say you are one who possesses wisdom, then it better be lived out in a lifestyle of action. One. And that action better be marked by that which wisdom actually produces gentleness, meekness, humility. If you say you're wise, it means there better be action to back it up. And we need to understand that, church family. There's a danger. We can think, oh, we are are wise. I'm a mature believer. I know all the omni-statements about Jesus and how to pronounce them correctly. I'm a mature believer. I can fully unpack and explain for you the mystery of Jesus being fully God and fully amen. I'm a mature believer. I know all of these things. I'm a mature believer. I have read the Bible cover to cover, but understand, church family, what he says about wisdom is wisdom is not merely about knowledge. Now it includes knowledge, because you can't do what's right without knowledge. But it's possible to be puffed up with knowledge that leads to no tangible action. And wisdom is not possessing a bunch of knowledge. Wisdom is not simply having a perfect orthodox theology, correct theology. It's having correct theology that leads to a correct lifestyle. That's what wisdom is. And this correct lifestyle is marked by meekness, is marked by humility is marked by a recognition that it's not all about me. It means if we live as a a wise local body of Christ, if we live wisely as the family of God, it means that we are all walking in, we are all coming together as the local church this morning understanding it's not about me. It's not about if I learned some amazing new truth. It's not about if we sang the song we hoped I sang. It's not about if. It's not about me. Because it's all about him. And wisdom is not concerned with the things of me. It's concerned with the things of of him. And James is going to go here in a little bit and fully flesh that out. But right now, what, what we simply need to see is if we think we are truly wise, there must be action, and that action must be humble, meek, gentle. The reason he specifies this is because there's a way of acting where you can stand for the right thing, where you can even be in line and speak the correct things, but driven by self, that it's far too easy to go, wow, look at that wise you say, what do you mean? Well, look, look with me. We're going to see the character and the consequences of worldly wisdom. Look at verse 14, church family. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For while jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, chaos, instability and every evil thing. Here's what he says so so you so you think you think you're, you have wisdom you think you have God's wisdom but if you find amongst yourself he says bitter jealousy. It's, it's two terms locked in, and the term for jealousy is, is actually the term, the, the Greek term that we get the English word zeal from, meaning to be zealous, to be passionate. It's, it's a term that has both a positive idea, to be zealous and passionate about something, or a term that can have a negative connotation, meaning to have envy or resentment. When it's connected with the word for bitter, that which proceeds from a great hostility or animosity, what it's describing is it is describing a passionate, a strong sense of emotion in a person that is resentful, envious of what another has that they don't. And then selfish ambition is a term that Aristotle coined and he used it to describe politicians who seek office of power for personal gain by unfair means. He says, so where these things exist, where there is a strong uh, sense of resentment, where there is selfish ambition, where there is the seeking of self, uh, self-promotion, where there is the seeking of, of self-status, where there is the seeking of self. Where there is the seeking of self in your heart and you say, I am wise, cut it out. When he says, do not be arrogant or do not boast and, so, and do not lie against the truth. Both, both do not boast and do not lie. Both of those are, are commands. He says, so you think you're wise? But, but look at the actions in your life. You have in your heart, in your heart, there is, there is bitter jealousy. In your heart, there is selfish ambition. In your heart, these things are driving. These things are moving. These things are shaping you. These things are informing your actions. So stop being arrogant. Stop boasting. Stop lying. Stop claiming you are living with the wisdom of God. Cut it out. That's what he's saying. And you go, well, well pastor, those, those are... Those are those are strong terms. They are strong terms. Well, where, where, might those, where might those exist? Well, one, notice this. It says, where bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. It's an important little phrase that tells us two things. One, when you and I are acting out of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it is not because of the circumstances around us demanding it it's coming from inside our own heart and that's key because if we face a situation like these early believers do where there is injustice where there is suffering where they are where they are experiencing hardship where circumstances externally are wrong there's going to be a temptation towards bitter jealousy strong, passionate dislike of others, to selfish ambition looking out for me, myself, and I, there's going to be a temptation there and we need to understand that acting out on that temptation, it is not justifiable because the world around us is being horrible to us, it is coming internally from our heart. It also means this, secondly, if it's in our heart, it doesn't mean that we have to demonstrate it all loudly externally. Remember, action in scripture is external, it's also internal. So you may go, ah, I'm not. I don't think anybody, if we went to my grow group and said, hey, describe for me this person, would you describe this person as bitterly jealous and selfishly ambitious? No. Because most of us, if we have enough social sense, would never demonstrate those things outwardly in strong ways, but internally. Internally, do you get frustrated when this person is given recognition and status and not you? Maybe because you dislike this person, or it may not be because you dislike this person, it may just be because this person's not you and you want that pleasure. Do you internally ever take action? Because you are driven and desirous and hungry for position, for prestige, for advancement. Do you want? Do you think through? How can I in this place come across and impress you with myself? For honest church family, all of us possess aspects of that. Uh, Several years ago, I got off Facebook for a variety of reasons. But one of those reasons was because I would see other guys I went to school with get speaking opportunities at other churches, d or conferences or this or that. Didn't dislike any of those guys, but I discovered in my spirit there was a bit of jealousy. Well, why didn't I get that call? Why isn't that opportunity there for me? Why it wasn't loud. I wasn't posting nasty messages on these guys' Facebook page. I wasn't calling friends who invited other people saying, why didn't you invite me? It didn't explode any kind, but there was this internal that the Spirit showed me and I recognized and you went, you know what? I need to pull away from this for a bit. I need to pull away from this for a bit and be content with what God has given me and where God has placed me and I will rejoice with those who rejoice and get the opportunity, and I will rejoice with the fact that God has placed me in the best spot I could possibly be because the highest rung on the ladder for any of us is to be exactly where God wants us to be, no matter how known or unknown we are. Church family, it can exist in the heart in a variety of places. And he says, listen, this wisdom, and this is, it's not in your Bible because they, they didn't use sarcastic quotation marks in the Greek New Testament. But when he says this wisdom, it doesn't mean it's actually wisdom. It means this wisdom, this, this wisdom, this way of acting that someone would give, it's not from above. It's not the wisdom which is a gift from God. Real wisdom is a gift from God. Real wisdom comes down from above. Real wisdom is not achieved by sheer intellectual power because we've got a lot of brilliant people in this world, very few of whom are wise. And we've got brothers and sisters in Christ who never had beyond a third grade education who are more wise than any of us in this room because of the manner in which their knowledge of God impacts the faithfulness of their lives. It's a gift from God. It comes down from above. It's a present tense participle, which means God delights. We saw this back in chapter one, the wisdom which is a gift from God. God delights. God gets excited to hear his children say, Father, I need your wisdom. God goes, great, here it is. Provided you ask confident and confident and real and trusting faith. He says, but this, this, this selfish ambition, this jealousy, this thing which drives you, it is, it is not the wisdom which comes from God, it's the polar opposite. It is earthly rather than heavenly, it is earthly. It is that wisdom which shuts God out and only sees based on the natural reality. It is natural or unspiritual. It's not that wisdom which in its essence is spiritual and from above, it's that wisdom which is driven by the emotions and reasonings of man alone. It's not that wisdom which is divine in origin, but it is demonic. It is a wisdom which is in line with those who have set themselves in opposition to Christ. And it says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, where these things reign, where these things are, there is disorder, there is an instability, there is a chaos, a trouble. It's a word that when used politically referred to anarchy. There is an anarchy where these things reign in every evil thing. It says, if the characteristic of this wisdom is selfish ambition, if the characteristic of this wisdom is, is bitter jealousy, then understand the consequences of such wisdom is disorder, it's chaos, it's not peace, it's not wholeness, it's not harmony, it's division, it's instability, it's disorder, chaos, anarchy. This is what results from this kind of wisdom. Our church family noticed something as we we pause and we try to apply this for a moment. The way James constructs this passage, when he says this wisdom is earthly, unspiritual and demonic, he is not talking about wisdom That the lost world stands up and says, hey, this is wise, and we're going, no, clearly that's without Christ. He is talking about believers who claim to have the wisdom of God, but who in their hearts are driven by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, which means this. Some of these individuals who live by this fraudulent and false sham of wisdom, are going to be individuals with correct theology. They're gonna be individuals who may even be articulate of tongue to to express that theology and truth. They may be individuals whose personalities are are charismatic, who seem to leap up the ladders as, as people heap opportunities upon them, understand church family and recognize the danger of this kind of wisdom. Because it's not saying that if you kind of have this kind of wisdom, well, you're probably involved in hypocrisy with truth. And you probably have this really gnarly, awful personality. You could. I mean, if you really let bitter jealousy and selfish ambition explode out of you, I, I would not understand why many want to hang around with you. Oh, but church family, I know so many pastors. There are many stories, and I'm not picking on pastors because pastors aren't the only ones who struggle with it, but there are many stories of pastors who can get up and preach what you would say he preached the heavens down, but in whose hearts they are threatened by other staff members on their staff who are also smart and can preach, who in their hearts are taking every opportunity to speak at those conferences because of what it will stack up and where it will get them, who in their hearts pursue positions of leadership not for how they can serve but for what they can ultimately get out of it. And just like there are many pastors that way, there are many church people that way. And so church family, part of what if we're going to apply this, we have got to recognize where bitter jealousy, where selfish ambition exists in our hearts. And we've got to stop boasting. We've got to stop looking at those who live in such ways, some who may be seemingly incredibly effective leaders and go, that person, wow, what a wise person. Scripture's clear. A person who is driven by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are being arrogant and a liar to claim that they have the wisdom of God driving their life. So, church family, we've got to recognize where, where are we prone to create cliques? Where are we prone to show partiality? Where, after we've been rightfully hurt, are we prone to feel that bitter jealousy towards the person who hurt us? Where, where, where are we prone in our homes I mowed the lawn, did the dishes, took out all the trash, and my spouse didn't say thank you. And we laugh, but bitter jealousy can creep in. Resentment. You didn't show me the appreciation that I deserve. Wait a minute, that's not meekness, which says, yeah, it would have been nice to hear a thank you, but it's not about me. Where do these things come out on social media? How, how, do, how do we do these things? Understand where these things exist, church family, where these things exist in our heart, there is chaos. It means if you possess these things in your heart, if God touches you and goes, uh, brother, or sister, and if he, looks, if he comes to you and says, child, look, here's where some bitter jealousy in your heart is, understand, in your heart, there will be chaos. There will be disorder. There will be instability in your heart. Not only that, but if we allow it to reign in our hearts, then what it means for us as a body, rather than being marked by the peace of God, the wholeness of God, rather than being marked by the righteousness of God, we will be marked by chaos, disorder, factions, disunity, the opposite of the spirit. And as the chaos runs among us, we destroy the credibility of our witness in the eyes of the world. And we strangle our ability to minister, to care, and to serve each other. So we've got to recognize it. And we've got to refuse to call those driven by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy wise. may mean that we have to be discerning and some leaders we once thought were great may not be so great in our eyes. Listen, church family, there is a unwise and wrong way to stand for the right thing. We are ambassadors of heaven here to witness to a watching world. We need to stand for truth. But we need to stand for truth in the way that God's wisdom would call us to stand. Which is where James goes now. Look with me, verse 17. We've seen the characteristics in The consequences of fraudulent wisdom, but now we see the characteristics and the the consequences, the fruit of heavenly wisdom. But the wisdom from above, wisdom from heaven, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He says, here's what you wanna know. He's already said, if you think you're wise, don't tell me how much you know, show me what you know by your action. And that action better be marked by the meekness, the gentleness, the humility that wisdom produces. Well, well what, is that, what does that look like furthered out? Well, he tells us, here's what that looks like. Here's what the characteristic is. First, it's pure. And purity has, has two ideas here. One is it, it possesses no faults. It, it's pure, it's been made pure by Christ. It's pure, it's without fault, without blemish. But it also speaks of this it's pure, meaning that it is undivided. There is in this wisdom no test of loyalty, where on one hand we say we're loyal to Christ, but on another hand we're loyal to this, we're loyal to this, we're loyal to this, we're loyal to this. It's pure, pure hearted. And this purity is what defines the seven characteristics that, that follow from it. This purity, this loyalty, this single-heartedness to the Lord is what defines the things that flow from it. And, and the things that flow from it, we can't see it in the English, but in the Greek they're arranged based on, based on uh, alliteration, based on sounds, based on… There's, there's, there's a rhyming, a rhythm to it, but here's how it flows out. It says that, that this purity expresses itself in peaceableness meaning a person who loves and promotes peace. Now we need to understand peace in Scripture is not the idea of the absence of any conflict. Peace in Scripture really is the idea of wholeness, being whole, and in that wholeness having harmonious relationships, relationships where there is an absence of conflict. First and foremost in the relationship between a human and God. In a relationship with that human in themselves. And then, out of a relationship between the human and God, the way that we relate to one another. And if I, as a child of God, possess the peace of God and the Holy Spirit's producing it in my life, and the same for you as a child of God, if that's there, then our, our relationships are filled with a harmony, a wholeness, a peace, and it's out of that, it's out of the healthiness and the harmony of the relationship That drives away the discord and the conflict, and it's important for us to understand this. He says his purity is peaceable. It seeks to promote always inside of the truth, wholeness and, and harmonious relations to God. And here's what it means to be peaceable. It doesn't mean we avoid conflict. No, if we're concerned about the truth and we're concerned about there being harmonious relationships that are bound by peace, then we will have to address conflict, but for the purpose of there being peace. This is not peace at all costs. We never, believers, we never seek peace at the expense of purity. We do not compromise with sin to maintain peace. But when we stand against sin, when we speak, we ultimately stand and call it out for the sake of seeing peace, seeing restoration. i give you a practical illustration. There was a time when I had to uh, confront uh, someone in, in the ministry I was leading. It was not, there were some things going on, some false things being said, and I had to confront, sit down and confront this person. And, and it was... Um, it was a stretching situation because of the nature of what it was. And things run through your mind. Was well, am, I, am, I, am I, did I go too far? Should I have asked to meet with this? And when I saw that person, the day before we were to meet, my heart was not filled with excitement. My heart was not filled with enthusiasm. My heart was not filled with animosity. It was filled with sorrow that the conversation even needed to be had so that hopefully, with repentance, peace could be restored. That's what we mean by peaceable. One who seeks the peace of God in relationships. Gentle. Gentle means not insisting on every ride of the letter. It means to be yielding, courteous, tolerant. It signifies a humble patience and a steadfast ability to submit to injustice, disgrace, and maltreatment without hatred and malice, but trusting in God to Despite it all, simply put, it's being satisfied with less than is due. It is humble and secure and not biting back. It is the opposite of being self-seeking and hot-headed." Reasonable is an interesting term because it means willing to yield, compliant, easily persuaded. It's technically to be obedient. It speaks of of, of a military situation where one is obedient to the will of, of the leader and When we say easily persuaded, we don't mean here that he says, well, wisdom from above is easily manipulated to give in to other views. That's not what we mean. That's not what we mean. It's not a weak, as one theologian put it, a weak, credulous gullibility, but it's a willing deference to others when there's not something of truth at stake. Give me an example. It's a willingness to go, you know what? What? I really came in today and I wanted to sing the newest, most latest, most hip praise chorus, but we sang a hymn. I could get all mad about how I don't like that or I could just go, you know what, praise God for that hymn. I defer to you who enjoyed the hymn. It could mean uh, when we put together that new building, we're we're gonna gonna make sure to have that, that carpet of the color that I think is right. And then realizing that there could be something of Disunity put that color in. You say, well, no, we'll go with the other color. I use goofy examples like that, church family, because the reality is we know many churches that have split over just those things. When the reality is God doesn't give a rip what color the carpet is. He made all the colors. He likes them all. And God really doesn't give a rip what our style of music is. He doesn't care if it's a hymn, a praise chorus or a modern song. He cares if it's a true song of worship that declares His glory and we actually believe it when we sing it. And we're going to all be shocked in eternity one day when we go in ready to sing our favorite songs and we hardly ever sing them because we're going to sing the songs and the languages and styles of all the innumerable tongues and nations that surround His throne. This is what it means. It means being willing to go, you know what, I could hold out on my position. But there's nothing at truth to the glory of God at stake here, so I'll show deference to you." Full of mercy, where we deal with each other on the basis of each other's neediness and helplessness, meaning we forgive as He's forgiven us. We welcome as He's welcomed us. We're ready to be all the things that He has shown to be to us, to others, filled with good fruits, a life that produces good fruits, good works. Then he gets to the end and he says, unwavering and without hypocrisy, that the wisdom from above is unwavering and it's got two sides to it. One side is it's, it's unwavering, it's, it's not filled with doubt, it's the opposite of the doubting man in chapter one and the duplicitous tongue that we saw last week. It's committed, it's firm, it's resolved. On the other side, that term unwavering means it is impartial. It doesn't create distinctions and show one person favor or not. What it means is wisdom is wisdom and wisdom is the same in all circumstances to all appearances. It doesn't change here or change there or move this based on circumstances or who is being related to. It says, without hypocrisy, meaning sincere, literally not playing a part, without pretense. It means not wearing a mask. What you see is what you get. The wisdom from above, church family, it is pure, and in that purity, it seeks peace. It doesn't seek what it's due, but is even willing to be mistreated, but in order to not insist on every right of the letter. It's, it's willing to show deference, reasonable. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's a firm commitment of mind and heart. And the lifestyle it preaches, it actually matches in living out. Church family understand the wisdom that is of God, the wisdom that is from above, is marked by the things of God, not the things of man. The wisdom that is from above will not approve of self-seeking. It, it, mean, it, it will mean not getting attention and credit. It will mean fighting for peace and harmony in the body. It will mean a willingness to take up another suggestion and preference. It'll mean rejecting partiality and wavering doubts. It will mean taking off the mask and living sincerely. It will mean being concerned with the things of God and how one may leave an impression for Christ as we live filled by the Spirit. It is a wisdom that when James tells us this is what it is and as you think through each of those terms and how those might apply in the relationships in your life, it is a wisdom that from James' perspective, when it is lived out in the body of Christ, it will drive out selfish ambition, it will drive out bitter jealousy, it will drive out the disorder, it will drive out the chaos, and instead in its place, it will sow and reap righteousness and peace. Did you catch that at the end, church family? This wisdom from above, the consequence of it, the seed whose fruit is righteousness, the fruit of righteousness, just simply a term for all that God wants to do in us and through us as individuals in a body, all that that is, all that that is, it is sown in peace. Meaning that that righteousness cannot exist in our midst. It will not be, you can plant the seed all day long, but it is not gonna sprout if it's not being sown in peace, that righteousness in your homes, it's not going to sprout if it's not being sown in peace, in wholeness, in soundness, in seeking truth in relationships with God and each other. If that, if that seed is not sown inside of that peace, it will not produce. But if it's sown in that peace, the language there is it produces a harvest a harvest of righteousness that is both sown by peacemakers and experienced by peacemakers, by those who make peace. Church family understand. James writes and he says, who among you is wise? And before anyone can answer the question, he says, no, no, no. I don't want to hear everything you know. I want to see it. I want to see it tangibly lived out in action that is driven by a humble gentleness and meekness which wisdom alone produces. I don't want to see you claim and and give a pass for selfish ambition and jealousy as though that's wise just because it can seemingly accomplish a lot of things. No, you reject that. That's of the earth. It's not of heaven. It's demonic. It's not of the Lord. No, instead, that wisdom from above, that wisdom which should mark, that wisdom which should characterize your life as believers. Oh, it's pure. It's loyal. It's without fault. It's a wisdom where you are seeking peace, harmony with God, with each other, especially as it comes to the body of Christ. It's, It's a wisdom where you're Willing to receive less than is due. You're willing to serve and not get credit. It's a wisdom where you're willing to show deference, where you're willing to show whatever would be necessary not to get what you want, but to care for the other who sits next to you right now and across from you and on the other side of the auditorium from you, who's watching online from a distance with you, full of mercy, full of good fruits, rejecting doubts with the Lord and refusing to show partiality to each other, without pretense, no mask. He says, you show this wisdom, here's what happens. As this wisdom invades, as the wisdom from above comes, here's what happens. You are planting the seeds for a harvest of righteousness, for all that God wants to do in and through you, for the fellowship of the Spirit to become, for the unity of the Spirit to come, for God to move in you and among you. You are planting it in in peace because as you live in this wisdom, what you become, church family, is a peacemaker. And then as that fruit of righteousness springs forth, that world outside these walls who watches us, they will see our good deeds. They will glorify our Father in heaven. They will hear the message of the gospel. They will see a church that is unified. They will see a church of people from all walks of life, of a variety of ethnicities and, and famil- familial backgrounds. They will see a church who loves hymns and modern songs. They will see a church who will do sports cam. come up with every thing that you want to see, but they will see a church that is marked by the peace of God. Meanwhile, the world they look around and see rages in anger and hostility. With no harmony in relationships, church family, the opportunity to shine as a light for Christ is so bold in front of us because the world is so opposite. But if we're not careful to be driven by heaven, by wisdom which is from above, we can claim the right things and stand for the right things, but do it in the wrong heart and fail to shine the light of peace and hope that God has called us to do. To the world, to our homes, with our spouses, or kids, or maybe if you're single, your roommate to family that doesn't live there, to our classes, to our jobs, to our athletic teams, to the parents of our kids on athletic teams or chess club or band or whatever it may be. So church family, what will we be marked by? That which we call wisdom or that which God gives is wisdom? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it's very easy today. There is such hostility, especially where there is disagreement in our society today. Turn on a political debate, you don't see peaceableness, you don't see gentleness, you don't see reasonableness, you don't see mercy. Too often it's vitriol. Sometimes it's standing for the right thing in the wrong way. Sometimes, if we're honest, we're just using the right thing to promote an agenda. Sometimes it's the wrong thing to still promote an agenda. Lord, we see all of it. And it's too easy if we're not careful to be influenced by it and all of a sudden to call something wise that you say is nothing to do with your wisdom. So, Father, as we process this passage today, it's a loaded text. But as you ask us the question, who, who among you thinks you're wise? Holy Spirit, would we be sensitive to you to a point out where we're not wise? So that we can confess it. And then we can say, Lord, make us wise. Knowing you delight to make us wise. Jesus, as we move into this time of invitation, you be pleased. We look to you. It's in your name I pray.